together. I, I was thinking this morning um, as I was coming up the hill, just it, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am there. And what we most need this morning is God's presence. And what's beautiful is that by you being here, God says in Romans 8 that each of us have been adopted as children, that you are a, a son or daughter of God, and it says that he's given us his Holy Spirit, and it says God's Holy Spirit testifies with our, with, testifies with our spirit that we are indeed God's children. So do you know this morning that you are a child of God <laughs> and that his spirit is in you and there is something powerful that happens when the people of God come together then God's presence is manifested and that is our greatest treasure our greatest joy this morning I love hearing the singing and as we bring our hearts uh, before the Lord to his word this morning would you join me in praying God you are amazing glorious better than we could describe with words you are truly indescribable, Lord. Yet you are near because you love and you've revealed yourself through your word. You've revealed yourself through Jesus Christ who came as a baby born but lived a life of righteousness, a life of blessing, a life of goodness. And you died a death that you did not deserve to give us a life that we don't deserve. But you love us and you're amazing. We worship you this morning. Open our hearts, open our ears to understand and see who you are today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many parents are here? We have a few parents? All right. God bless your parents. All right. Um, how many times does your child ask why? <laughs> I, I just talked to a dad, uh, first service, and he said, yeah, my son had this and this and this question about why this, this, and this in the Bible. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, I heard someone say uh, this week uh, on a video that they thought kids on average t ask why maybe 300 times a day. I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate or not. It feels like that sometimes. But, uh, but I think there's something that we need to learn from that because uh, sometimes as adults, we, we just kind of get into our routines, our patterns, and there's a lot of great routines and patterns, like coming to church is a, a very good thing. It's a wonderful thing. I think it brings so much blessing to you. But a lot of times we don't ask why. Why do we come to church? Why are we part of the church? And so uh, the why question is really important. I think we can learn from kids in that way that Jesus said we entered the kingdom of God in like a child and I think we sang about one way this morning that kids are trusting right my my youngest son will jump off the trampoline and he doesn't even question if I'll catch him <laughs> he just assumes that I'm gonna catch him I haven't dropped him yet but <laughs> but that's beautiful and that's how we enter the kingdom of God is through trust absolute faith in God that he will catch us that he is who he says he is and so but another way I think we enter the kingdom of God is understanding uh, the motivations and our love. Because if you think about it, why is really a question about purpose, right? It's really a question about purpose, and it's really understanding the motivation for why we do what we do. Um, I think the ultimate truth about God revealed in the Bible is that He is love. The Bible is very clear that God is love. And everything that's revealed to us about the story of God is a story of love. And uh, Jesus said in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, it's interesting. He didn't say, obey my commandments, then you'll love me. No, he said, if you love me, then you will obey. Because 
our actions, what we do, comes out of love, right? It's based out of love, what we do. And so this gets to the really, the heart of the why question. I believe as people we were created to love. We need love. <laughs> it's, it's the most basic human need. Uh, I, I've seen children who've had enough food, but if they don't have love, their lives are destroyed, right? So even more than food, we need love. We need food too, okay? So don't stop eating, but, but love is a, is a basic, intrinsic need, and it's how God created us. And I think it's part of being made in His image. Because God is a God of love, He made us the kind of creation that reveals love and needs love and is made to love. So there's a connection between love and worship because worship is an expression of love. Like what Timothy Keller says is that the human heart is a, is a, is a um, it manufactures idols in the sense that there is so much that we can worship in this world. In fact, the Bible says this is one of the central struggles for humanity is that we were created ultimately to worship God because he is most worthy. He is the creator and the glorious one over all things. And he alone is worthy of worship. We were created as worshipers to worship him. That's why the greatest command in uh, the Old Testament is to worship God alone. That he alone is worthy. He alone is God. And so because the human heart and because of sin and because, remember what Adam and Eve, uh, when they were in the garden, what did they see? The fruit on the tree, and they said it was desirable. It looked good to eat. <laughs> and because of that desire, they went ahead and ate it, and it brought about worship that wasn't right, that wasn't worship of God. And this human condition of idolatry, of the human heart manufacturing idols, is a reflection of love gone astray as we begin to desire and love lesser things that aren't God, what we find is that those things will begin to consume us. Now, we live in a culture that's deeply affected by consumerism, and, and there's a good side of consumerism, okay? There's a lot that we are thankful for about consumerism, but there's also a dark side, a very, very dark side to consumerism. And we see that, and I see that as a, a pastor in the church, is that so many times we begin to desire things and want things, but instead of it bringing blessing to our lives, it ends up consuming us and ultimately destroying us. And that's what God said would happen when Adam and Eve went for that fruit. He says, be careful because that fruit leads to death. That fruit leads to death. And so whether it's food or drink or money or position or power, relationships, as we begin to desire those things and want those things and pursue those things, what we find instead of giving us life, those things suck the life out of us and they destroy us. They destroy our very souls and our relationships and everything else. And so what you worship will consume you. And this is true of God as well. We're told in Hebrews that God is a consuming fire. <laughs> But here's the beautiful thing, is that when God consumes us, instead of destruction and death, He gives us life. <laughs> he blesses us. He brings goodness to us. And so it's just the opposite. Instead of if it's God consuming us to destroy us, He actually heals us and restores us. As it says in Romans 12, and we live as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing to God. When we realize that we are to worship Him and be consumed by God, to give our lives to Him, instead of harming us, God blesses us <laughs> because He loves us and He does what's best for us. I believe the whole Bible, the story of God, points to one truth, that God is love and that we were created to love, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love others, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said that second command is like the first, so they're, they're inseparable. You can't say you love God and you don't love others. As we begin to learn about loving God, we begin to learn about loving others. So would you stand with me? We're going to read in Revelation 1, chapter 4 through 8, and we stand in reverence to God's word. And we're going to be talking about the church this morning. Why church? Why has God created and called us to be the church? We're going to read in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4. I believe it's on your screen. To the seven churches in the province of Asia. It's interesting that all the New Testament letters were to the people of God, but in specific locations. And so the church is more than just uh, us right here. The church is made up of people all over Rapid City and all over the United States and all over the world, but there's a specific local manifestation. And that's what we see in Revelation, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, which is in Turkey. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. So God is above all. God is the focus. The seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us. Would you just say this morning, he loves us? He loves us. Isn't that a beautiful truth? <laughs> God loves us. And he has freed us from our sins by his blood. <laughs> he's made a way for us to be forgiven. And he's made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve. Would you say to serve? His God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am. The Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. You may be seated. So if we are going to answer the question this morning, why church? I think we have to start with understanding that the church is the people of God. We see this uh, revealed throughout the the Bible is what God is most passionate about is people because we are his supreme creation. And so I know culturally a lot of times we talk about church as a building or a program or a service or an organization, but none of that, all those things are very, very secondary. What God is talking about when he talks about the church is the people, you <laughs> and me. And it's what Paul refers to throughout the New Testament in all his letters when he writes letters to specific churches, specific people in specific places, locations, he calls them God's holy people. God's holy people. The people that God has set apart to be his. And so what we see as Jesus is calling his 12 
disciples and he calls them to follow him and to be with him, they become the foundation, as it says in Acts uh, 2.20, for, or um, Ephesians 2.20, for the church. And we see that through people, God begins to manifest his presence and his power and his mission to bring salvation and goodness to this world. And so when we talk about the church, we're talking about people. We're also saying that this is God's idea, not our idea. <laughs> and that's important, that God created the church. He created people in his image to follow him, to know him, to love him, to worship him. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. That verse is very clear. Um, I remember as a young man I had a dream to be a pilot and so I was um, headed off to college to be a, a pilot to learn how to fly. I had uh, aspirations of adventures in the jungles and remote places of the world but that summer I was reading the book of Ephesians and God began to reveal to me his love and his passion and his plan of working through the local church and it captured my heart and it made me change the direction of my life and so this idea is not our idea this is God's idea this is God's way that he is choosing people and through people to make known his wisdom and to make known his eternal purpose and that's a powerful thing it's kind of an overwhelming thing isn't it to think about <laughs> that he's choosing us to do such an amazing thing so there's three pictures I want to highlight uh, this morning that the Bible reveals to us about why church why is God working through us through his people to bring about his eternal purposes which he accomplished in Jesus Christ there's three th pictures and and there's more in the Bible like one that we won't talk about this morning is Jesus is referred to as the Good Shepherd and he talks about his people being his sheep and so there's other pictures but I really want to highlight three with you this morning the first is the church is God's dwelling place God's dwelling place first Timothy 3 verse 15 says Paul is talking to Timothy who he sent to a specific church to pastor, to lead. He says, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And so God has chosen to dwell with his people and Paul refers to it as his household, the place where he lives. <laughs> And so God lives with his people. We see this desire of God from the very beginning when he used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, right? Living, being with them. And then the people of Israel, as they went through the wilderness and God's presence was revealed through the pillar of cloud and fire and then later in the temple where God's presence and his spirit would dwell in the Holy of Holies. But we re what we really find out in the Bible's story is that God's ultimate end is not to dwell in a building, but with 
his people <laughs> and the hearts of his people. And uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel both prophesy that God will make a new covenant with his people where he will dwell and he will write his ways in each and every heart through his Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said that the temple would be torn down and that he would raise up a new temple. And Jesus reminds us that God's presence is with his people gathered. In the New Testament, in Acts, as the early church is gathering and after Jesus has breathed on his disciples and given them the Holy Spirit, the 120 are gathered in Jerusalem and it says the Spirit of God came down upon them as tongues of fire and as wind and the presence of God was with his people. And so God's dwelling place. And this brings to us freedom and, and belonging and Paul talks about it being the truth. We live in a world full of darkness and confusion and, and a lot of lack of understanding of truth. The reason every Sunday it's so important when we gather that we open this word is because we believe God has revealed his truth to us. He's revealed that the Bible is God's revelation, his word, his truth. <laughs> in a world of confusion and darkness, God's entrusted the church with the truth. And so it is... This is why we proclaim the Word of God, why we invite people to understand the Word of God. And this is why each and every one of you has access to the Word of God, because God has revealed the truth to us, the pillar and the foundation of truth. And so this is the why of church. We are God's dwelling place, where the truth and His Word and His life and His power is evident and working in us. This should amaze us. <laughs> Are you amazed <laughs> that God would do this? I'm amazed by it. Second, God's body. So first, we are God's dwelling place in the church. We are God's body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. You are part of God's body. This is God's plan I uh, was given a wonderful book called uh, Fearfully and Wonderfully uh, by Dr. Brand and uh, Philip Yancey. And uh, I've, the last few weeks I've been reading it and I was in Colorado uh, this last week and I went out one morning early before the sunrise to go on a hike and what I hiked was something called the incline. And it's uh, stairs that go straight up the side of the mountain, 1,000 feet. So you start at about seven, a little over 7,000 feet. You go up 1,000 feet straight up on these big wooden stairs. <laughs> so it's a lot of stairs. But I was thinking about, as I was walking up that, well, I, was, I mean, it was, it was a little more work than walking because <laughs> I'm trying to get up to the top. Um, I'm thinking about this book because uh, Dr. Brand is a surgeon and he has studied the human body and he, he developed all kinds of treatments for leprosy in India and did amazing things. But he ties the human body in with this idea of the church being God's body. It's powerful. I highly recommend it if you have time to, to check it out. And one of the things he described was how the cells in our body each work together completely to help our bodies move and work and meet and, and live. And so he talked about our blood and our heart and our skin and all these parts of who we are. And I'm thinking about this as I'm going up the mountain and I'm thinking, man, this is amazing <laughs> that everything is working, that my muscles and everything is, is getting me to the top. And as hard as it was, 
it was beautiful and wonderful. And as I got to the top, I felt amazing. Because <laughs> I realized that this is a miracle of what God has created in each of us. And so our role as God's body reveals his purpose to bring growth and give purpose to each of us as parts. In that book, Dr. Brand also talked about how in some people, parts of the body can rebel. <laughs> and he talked about a person who had a muscle spasm. And the muscle was no longer working in conjunction with the other parts of the body. And this drove this person mad, crazy. In fact, they wanted to commit suicide. It was so painful and disruptive to their lives. And so he talked about how it's so important that each part works together, that it has a part, it has a purpose. This is what he says. He says, that common identity that we share in Christ, it links all the members of Christ's body with a unifying bond. In a healthy church, unity trumps diversity. Unity trumps diversity. The process of joining Christ's body may at first seem like a renunciation, a forfeit of autonomy. Ironically, however, renouncing my old value system in which I had to compete with other people on the basis of power, wealth, talent, committing myself to the head, Jesus abruptly frees me. So it actually brings freedom. My sense of competition fades. No longer do I have to compete through life looking for ways to prove myself. Instead, I have the singular goal of pleasing God, of living for an audience of one. More, I can partner with the other cells in the body to accomplish God's work in this world. And so what he's describing is uh, the, the, the plan that God has for each of us is ultimately to learn and grow in love. This is why in 1 Corinthians 13, after Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 just talked about the body and each of us having a part, what does he talk about? Love. He says love is the most important thing. He says it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter if you can do miracles or you can do all kinds of amazing things. He says if you don't have love, you don't have and so God's plan is that through love, we become a true body. <laughs> we become truly what God intended us to be. That's why God, I think, creates the church. It becomes a place where we learn about love. Third, and this is related to that idea, is we are God's bride. We are God's bride. Ephesians 5, verse 31 through 32 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. <laughs> so we use this passage a lot to talk about marriage, and marriage is a wonderful, beautiful thing, but you don't have to be married to understand God's purposes. Marriage serves a greater purpose. It points to something beyond ourselves. Uh, I meet with couples a lot and, and one of the great struggles in marriage is we each have a will and we have a desire and we want to do things our way, right? <laughs> I'm normal, right? I don't know what's wrong with you, <laughs> right? We kind of think that way about each other. But in marriage, you have to put that aside. You have to say, you know what? I'm not going to get my way this time. I'm going to lay aside my way and I'm going to do what's best for my partner. 
And so in marriage, there's a bigger purpose than just ourselves. Marriage, I tell this to couples who are getting married, marriage is a reflection of God's ultimate picture of who he is and what he wants to do with his people. And the church is that picture. Because in the church, we learn about love. We learn to love people who are very different from us, who do things very differently, who have different tastes, different desires. It reveals God's kind of love. It's the place where that gets worked out. Earlier I talked about the danger of consumerism, the dark side of consumerism. And so many times in our church we can get consumed with the things that we want or the ways we want. But what God invites us to is to a way of love where we learn that we're here not for ourselves, we're here for God's glory. (laughs) We're here to worship Him and we're here to love others. We're gonna celebrate communion this morning in a few minutes, but uh, I think there's two application points. When we talk about church, I've kind of shared some big ideas about this being God's idea (laughs) and about who we are as his, His dwelling place, His body, His bride. But what does that mean for me individually? What does that mean for you individually? And I, I've really, I really believe there's two things that, that it really boils down to. And it boils down to that greatest command. And I think to be a disciple, to become a, a follower of Jesus is really to become a learner. And I think our part is to learn to worship. Learn to worship. Because our hearts are driven towards so many other things, we begin to understand that it's not about us, that we begin to understand that God is worthy of our worship, that He alone is worthy of our praise and all that we are, all that we have to give. And it's more than just music. I love to sing, and I'm so thankful that we sing when we get together. But we're learning that God is worthy of everything that we are, like Isaac and Abraham, as, as Abraham said, that we're going to this place to have an offering and Isaac was old enough to understand um, what was happening but he willingly went with Abraham and he laid down on that altar because he knew that God was good that was worship he was trusting in God he knew that God was good he would provide and this is where Jesus in the garden said not my will but yours be done God you see Jesus models worship for us so learning to worship And then we learn to love. We learn to love. We commit not to getting or receiving, but we learn to serve and give as part of the body. (laughs) We understand our part, we understand our purpose, and we, we serve and we give in those ways. We learn to love people, not the way we want them to be or the way we think they should be, but we love them for who they are, the way God loves us, right? And so as, uh, as we uh, celebrate communion, I want to invite uh, Tom to come on up to share a song. And I'm going to have the, worship, or the servers come up, the ushers come up to pass out the bread. And I think in the cup, and I think it's so vital that Jesus gave us this practice to remember why church. <laughs> he gave us communion, the Lord's Supper, for a reason, for a purpose. And I think it reminds us of who we belong to and who we are. It reminds us that we need God's life in us, that we can't do this on our own. And that's why Jesus gave his own blood. 
And we often associate blood with death because if we lose our blood, we will die. But blood is ultimately life-giving. It's what we most need to survive, to thrive, to be healed, to be made whole. And Jesus knew that we couldn't do that on our own. He knew we had a disease, a sickness called sin. And so he gave us a blood transfusion. <laughs> he gives us his blood that cleanses us, that makes us whole, that makes us new, and helps us to truly live. And so we're going to take this, and uh, as this is passed out, I want you to take the bread and the cup and hold on to it, and we're going to take it all together. May my life be 